It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. There is a certain wildness in us as humans, which is what the devil played upon in the Garden of Eden. There's a certain vulnerability that we natively have, and it can be leveraged to harm. Like if you ever saw Man from Snowy River, right? The Brombies, the wild horses that are running the hillside. And of course, Jim, uh, Jim Craig. Uh, is that the young guy's name too? Is his name Jim Craig? Yeah, I think it is. Jim Craig. Uh, that's my Australian accent. Uh, where's Nathaniel? He was impressed. Look at, look at him. He's like, that was good. Uh, <laughs> He, his dad is actually trampled, you know, is killed because of the, the wild horses, these, these brumbies. And uh, so there's some danger there. But when they are captured and broken unto the will of the master horseman, they actually produce good. And they can actually become serviceable unto the ends of the, the master horseman. And so something that could, in its wildness, create harm actually can be steered and directed unto good, even unto rescue. Uh, and so that's sort of what I want to capture today is to recognize that there is a, a great strength that God wants to place into our lives, but we need to know how to wield it. And when we allow the wildness of our nature to just go awry and to take this strength of grace that is being deposited, we actually can harm people even with truth. Isn't that an amazing thought that you can harm people with the truth of God's word if it's not wielded correctly? When you're given authority, whether it's in marriage, in a family, in a church, in a business, in a civil sphere, if you don't wield the authority correctly, you can actually damage and destroy people. I mean, all you have to do is look at Stalin, Hitler, and you realize very quickly you can bring devastation when you take authority or strength and misuse it. The Christian is entrusted with something. They're entrusted with the name of Jesus Christ, the authority of God's kingdom. They're entrusted with grace. And how we wield that is of the utmost importance. And of course, this is all part of the muscular Christian ideas that you are built to change the world. But with the very tools that you are given to change the world, you can actually destroy it. It's an odd thought to think that the church, when it is off, actually does harm to the world as opposed to help it. And so the church being accurate with God's word and in agreement with God's spirit and in the spirit of love working actually is what we must have. So the principle of increase. It's a hard thing, I think, for many people to understand because there's been all these I would say they're nonsense debates uh, in the church, and everyone's so concerned because it usually has to do with the Holy Spirit. It's like, uh, so do you have all of the Holy Spirit when you believe, or do you get a second blessing is, is one of the terms for it. Uh, and so what, what I would say is there's a principle of increase in Scripture. And I see it as being a, a point, of, there shouldn't be any debate over this. It's just what all the parables teach. You're given a little, what you do with that little proves if you get more. All right, any questions? It's just like you're, you prove faithful with little and you get more. This is the principle of parenting. I'm going to give you a little, you prove faithful with that, and I'm going to increase your responsibility. This is how God's kingdom works. It's hot-wired that way. So I'm going to call it the principle of increase. 
Prove faithful with little, and you'll receive more. So at the advent of your spiritual growth, though you have the inheritance of all of heaven, what is allotted to you and what you are currently exercising is a portion. You are given a portion of the full, and then you must prove faithful with it. And as you do, your increase happens. For instance, you have a little faith. So what do you do with it? You invest it. You put that faith in Christ Jesus, and what happens? Your faith grows in seeing his faithfulness. So when you see God faithful, your faith grows. You have a little love, and so what happens when you exercise that little love? You gain more love. This is how the kingdom of heaven works. Take what you have and use it, and when you use it and you invest it, it increases. That's why, to me, this is a nonsensical thing to discuss, just what the kingdom of heaven is built like. Everything in God's kingdom is built this way. A little increases when you exercise it. You have a little muscle. What do you do with it? Exercise it. It gets stronger. It gets bigger. This is the simple principle of God's growth and maturity. Okay? So I'm just giving it to you simple. Prove faith with little and you will receive more. So if you need a little backing for that, there's loads of it in Scripture. I'll just read a few of them. So they're all, you know, parables are the greatest spots for this because Jesus always says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And then he gives these illustrations of someone being entrusted with little, exercising it, and increasing. Or how about that person who's entrusted with little and buries it, they lose it. Okay, it's the same thing uh, with how the kingdom of heaven works. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little, have authority over ten cities. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. So to lead the church of Jesus Christ, do you remember the principle that Paul gives? And that is, he says, first a man must prove faithful. He must be proven in his own home. His children must treat him with respect and reverence. And if they don't, he's not fit to lead the church. But if he proves faithful in this smaller thing, then you can put him in charge of a bigger thing. Kingdom of heaven. This is how it works. It's always worked this way. Okay, so I'm just giving you a principle. It's not what I'm teaching on. As much as I'm showing you that each of us is given something. As we begin to exercise it, it increases. The surprising starter cash. Now, most of us don't understand how all this works, but it, it is. It is surprising that we start with something. I'm calling it starter cash. It's probably not the best way of describing it, but that's sort of what it is. We're given a starter measure of grace. We are given something, and it might be just a little, but here you go. Have you ever had that thought? It's like, God, you read the biographies, and you're like, God, why don't I have what Hudson Taylor had? Well, what are you doing with the little you do have? Why don't I have what Reese Howells had? Why don't I have what uh, Amy Carmichael had? Well, what are you doing with the little you do have? I remember seeing Richard Wormbrandt. Uh, it was a shaky video. It was, I mean, terrible video quality back when I was around 20 years old. And Richard Wormbrandt uh, walks up onto the stage. He didn't have any shoes on, and he had to sit because he couldn't stand on his feet because of the torture to the bottom of his feet, so he couldn't even wear shoes. And this man, when he spoke, was, I'd never seen such love. His love and his care for those that even did this to him. And how much he loved the lost, how much he loved Jesus. I mean, I, I'd never seen anything like it. I felt like a hardened criminal watching him. 
Like there's something so stiff in me and he was just the liquid form of Christianity and I was like some peanut brittle version of it. It's like, what is that? Melt me down, Lord. Do whatever you need to do. I want that. And God's simple response was, are you willing to go through what he went through to get it? Whoa. Are you willing to go through 20 years of torture in order to get that? God, is there, is there a different way <laughs> to get that? You see, if you want the good stuff, if you want the maturity, you have to exercise every day what you do have. And it's difficult. You go into the gym every day. We just had a workout this morning, and it's weird. Every morning when I wake up, I don't really want to go to the workout, but I do. Now, any of you that understand athletics understand that tension. It's like... I. At 4.50 this morning when I was getting up, I wasn't thinking, hmm, this is fun. It isn't fun to get up early, and it's not fun to exert, and it's not fun when it's death by burpee, which is what the workout was today. I'm glad I didn't know that at 4.50 in the morning. But death by burpees is one of my least favorite workouts, okay? And, and so to actually go into a workout like that is sort of like, what's wrong with me that I would even do this? Why don't I just walk out now? You ever had that when I heard that it was going to, because you go at the whole warm-up, and he's like holding back on the workout. Arnie, leave it to Arnie. Where is Arnie? Is he in here? Yeah, that turkey. Uh, <laughs> so he holds back. He's like, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. He's like, okay, what, what do you got for us? So the whole thing is like, that's just the warm-up. It's like, oh, great. If that's the warm-up, this isn't going in the right direction. <laughs> it's like, okay, guys, now we got the workout. So we all lean in. It's like death by burpees. Oh, no. Why don't I just walk out? That would make more sense. Just leave. That's the way many of us as Christians do. It's like, okay, when I get to the trial, then I'll decide if I'm really going to want to do this. No, you decide before you even wake up that morning that you're going to go to a workout. This is the way we are as Christians. We pre-decide, yes, this is where I'm headed. I see Richard Wormbrandt, and I want it. So I said, however many years ago that was, 28 I said, God, I'm willing to go through whatever it takes to get that. Even what he went through? God, I'm gulping big time as I, as I think through this, but yes, I just want what he has. I want the real thing. I want to grow up unto a full maturity. I want an increase of grace in my life. Whatever you have, it's precious. But you take that precious talent of gold, or the five talents, the two talents, the one talent, whatever you have right now, and exercise it, invest it in Christ, invest it in others, spend it the way God has designed you to. The surprising starter cash, and to one he gave five talents. That is a lot of money. That is a tremendous inheritance that this guy just suddenly comes into, and he didn't do anything for it. He just received it. However, God desires to give him more. If you say, does God only have five talents to give you? No, he actually has so much you couldn't count it. But he wants to start you out with everything you need for life and godliness today. You see, right now you're not in prison, so you don't need grace for prison. You need grace for what's in front of you today, and he's given it to you. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to wrap it in a napkin? It's a weird story. Wrap it in a napkin buried in the ground. Or are you going to invest it the way God is calling you to invest it? What to do, what to do. 
What should one do with this amazing entrustment of strength? See, many of you don't feel strong. I think that's the funny uh, paradox that we're in right now. You feel weak. Oh, anything but. You see, you've been entrusted with truth. You've been given a grace that is otherworldly. You have been exposed to truths that very few people on planet Earth have ever heard. Why? I can't explain why he chose you, but he did. And God has given you strength. What's the Spider-Man statement? To uh, whoever is entrusted with, with great strength comes great responsibility. Yeah, see, what a quote. Uh, we can go off of Scripture and go to Spider-Man now. It's the same principle. In fact, that's what I would say. It's like that's just stealing from Scripture. When you are given something, you, you are expected to utilize it. You are expected to spend it. You are expected to invest it. What to do, what to do. The daring investment. Grace, grace can't sit idle on the pantry shelf. To keep it, you must exercise it. Isn't that just sort of an odd thought, too? That you're given something, and if you don't use it, you lose it. That's how it works. But if you use it, it multiplies. So what you should have is you should have a daring spirit inside of you. It's like, hey, I would lose this if I don't use it, so I'm going to use it. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to begin to use this grace, even if you do it imperfectly at first. I want you to begin to take risk. I want you to begin to dare to step forward into awkward zone territory and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I want you to begin to take what you have been given and invest it, exercise it, and use it. This is very, very important in your Christian life. And when you do, because I, I can tell you right now, you probably will make some mistakes with it. Every time, you know, a child is learning to walk, what do they do? Do they step perfectly? No, they make missteps. It's called a toddle. It's not a perfect physiological movement. It's not balanced yet. It's learning balance. And so oftentimes it will stumble. You don't get mad at a young toddling child because they stumble. You actually chuckle and help them back up. And that's the way I would look at the investment of grace. You could sit on your bum, your little diaper bum bum, you know, for the rest of your life on your blanket, or you could stand up and begin to learn how to utilize this new creature that you are in Christ, which has limbs, which has eyes, which has a mouth, which has ears, which has a heart. And if you will begin to exercise, it will grow and mature. But you have to move. You have to do. You have to exercise. Hudson and the foam sword. See, Hudson was wondering if he could get into another message. Uh, Hudson, do you remember your foam sword when you were like three or four? And little Harper comes into our home. And so Harper, I want to say that she was like two. And Hudson is like four. That's just a guess. It was somewhere around there. And Hudson had a, a sword. It was probably from Walgreens. You know, it wasn't like some impressive thing, but it was foam. And he's like... <laughs> going around the house with his sword, and little Harper's in there, and he goes, <laughs> So Daddy saw Harper, saw Hudson, misuse his foam sword. And so this is one of the most serious moments. This is probably why Hudson remembers his foam sword, because Daddy, Daddy was a daddy in this moment. And I come up to Hudson with that firm grip upon the shoulder. You guys ever have that from a father? It's like the firm grip on the shoulder. And you know, Hudson's like, uh, paralyzed. I go, buddy, daddy entrusted you with a foam sword. 
when you are given strength as a man, you always use that strength to protect and never to harm. If I ever see you harm your sister with the strength that you've been given, you will have it taken away. There's a good dad speech for you right there. You see, now this, I could just apply this straight to men because men are the stronger vessel. I know that women don't like hearing that. I'm just saying that's what the Bible would teach. If women are the weaker vessel, you have to presume that men are the stronger vessel. Now, there are women that can beat up men. So it's, I'm not saying that in the, in the sense of physical ability to conquer, women can't you know, pull some amazing stunts. I'm saying there's something in our wiring that is meant for a man to carry the brunt of something. A man is responsible. So the way I have always taught it to Hudson is a man is entrusted with weapons. Given weapons that if he misuses them could harm women. But if he utilizes it properly, can literally rescue them. So how a man handles the strength that he's given can either destroy the world in which we live or it can rescue it. You see, Jesus is the model man who literally shows what it means to give up his life so that others could live. Jesus is the ultimate weapon, by the way. Okay, if you want to pick a weapon, there it is. God's weapon spent. It's a man. The strength of a man given, wielded, and as a result, all hell is defeated. And so there's something about this. Each one of us, because it's not just a man thing, each one of us is given strength. A mom has authority in a home and she can misuse it. And she can harm her children instead of help them. At every, at every level of our life, we can appropriately use what we're entrusted with and we can inappropriately use it. So Hudson and the foam sword, there is a right way to use it and a wrong way. The concept that I'm bringing up here is meekness. Now when you hear the word meekness, it doesn't sound like a very strong word. I, I don't know what your encounter with meekness is, but it's, it sounds weak, okay? When I was growing up, weakness and meekness were the same thing. When in actuality, meekness is strength harnessed. That, that would be probably one of the best ways to describe it. It is strength that comes under the will of someone greater. So it doesn't lose its strength, it captures the strength. It directs the strength so that it is useful instead of harmful. It's a great word. So meekness, strength governed and made safe and pleasant to others. As a wild stallion broken to harness and brought under the will of the master horseman. See, when a wild stallion is brought to harness or broken to harness, he doesn't lose his beauty. He doesn't lose his strength. It's that all of those are brought together to be now used by the master horseman. Well, this is how it works, guys. This is what God is doing in us. You see, what God is desiring is for us to be harnessed. He wants to increase our strength, so he says, exercise it. Grow strong. But as we're growing strong, we need to submit in even a greater way. So with every increase in strength, there is a greater dependence. Say, God, show me how to wisely use this strength. You know, it's sort of a scary thing when you first get married, and you're a man. I'm sure it's scary for the woman too, but it's scary because you recognize that you're responsible. If something goes awry in that marriage, you know who basically has to stand before God and say, it's on me. 
It's the man. The head is the one that's responsible for what's taking place, like the quarterback of the football team or the coach of the football team. It's on me. And so as a result, it's a, it's a weighty thing. And then when you have kids, oh, I'll tell you what, your mouth goes dry, you know, and you're just like, this is a scary thing. It's like now I'm responsible for that little wiggly thing there. And, I mean, you want to stick it back in, in, in the mother and just, like, could you spend the night in there? And you can't. It's just, like, there, and it's always there, and it's growing, it's making choices, and you're responsible. And it's a weight. And so with each growth of increase of authority, with increase of responsibility, what happens? A greater dependence. God, I need you. You see, what happens the other way is if you begin to control and say, this is mine, this is mine, I'll do it my way, you actually destroy the very thing you're supposed to protect, the very thing you're supposed to nurture. But when you do it God's way and you become more and more dependent, even though your authorities, your authority and responsibility is growing and growing and growing, what happens is you're able to do it well according to God's spirit. So remember I said Hudson and the foam sword. This is going to be a parallel, and I'm going to say the shepherd and his rod. The shepherd, you see, we are in the church of Jesus Christ. A man who is put over the church is a shepherd. That's actually what the word pastor even means. It's a shepherd. And a shepherd is entrusted with something. It's one of his key instruments. It's a rod. Now, we, always, we already taught canon in our semester, so you guys are familiar with a rod. But a rod, in its most basic sense, is a protection device and a comforting device for a shepherd. Okay, the way a shepherd is going to use it is he is going to clobber a wolf with it. And he's going to comfort his sheep. His sheep know he's there with the little gentle tap on the fluffy backside. It's like, I'm here. You're safe. You're safe. Hey, little to the left. Little to the left. Let's stay out of that little ravine. Hey, come on, guys. Over here. And it comforts the sheep to know that the shepherd is watching over them. So a rod can be wielded in the most positive sense. At the same time, that rod is dangerous. I don't know if you've ever had a wooden stick clobber you in the head, but uh, you can just imagine what it's going to do to the skull of whoever receives that clobber. Now, what oftentimes can happen in the Christian family and in the Christian church is that rod can be misused, and it can clobber sheep instead of wolves. And that is where the problem lies. You see, this is where the harnessing is needed. Because God wants to increase your strength. He wants to increase your authority. But you have to be dependent. And you have to allow that strength to be governed well. It has to be governed in meekness. There is a right way to use that rod and a wrong way. So there's a, we could call it the age-old shepherding debate. Okay, so you go back in the days, you know, of when you think of David... Uh, in, the, in the fields with his sheep and, you know, the lion and the bear, you know, all those types of stories. But you see what David did. When the, when the lion came and took one of his sheep, <clears throat> when the bear came and took one of his sheep, but I just want you to ponder for a second. If you're a shepherd and you're responsible for all these sheep, okay? And in other words, bad things could happen to you if you lose even one sheep. You, you know, you, that's why... It's a pretty big deal that you govern these sheep and protect them because it's a financial investment and people get mad when they lose their financial investment. So even if you're just a caretaker, even for your dad's sheep, it's a big deal. Your whole family is going to lose food on their table if you let a, a lion come in and take a sheep. 
However, say a lion does get a sheep in his mouth and starts running off. What do you do? Do you run after the lion or do you stay and protect the sheep that you still have? Because I don't know if any of you have ever been taught by your mom uh, to not mess with lions with food in their mouth, but it would be a good piece of wisdom. Okay, have you ever been with a dog when he has a bone in his mouth? And that's just a dog. Okay, let alone a lion or a bear okay, that has food in its mouth. And so what would make the most sense? Let that sheep go and you stay with the others. Okay, it just makes sense. However, what we see is a pattern that God is going to teach and it's a pattern of shepherding God's way and it's a little different. It's bold and audacious to even go after the one when it's lost and to leave the 99. I mean, that's, a, that's an incredibly audacious shepherding pattern, by the way. I think we take it for granted because we didn't grow up as shepherds, number one. Well, some, I've had a few students like I did, and so there's always the exception to that. But it's not a normal thing for most of us, okay? I, I'm guessing that's accurate. Could you imagine it's like all of you raise your hand like, no, we've all been shepherds. So we're good. <laughs> and so in the process, we don't oftentimes think of it as odd to leave 99 sheep and go after one. However, think about the financial risk you are taking in doing that. Okay, you're going to leave 99 sheep and go after one? I'm glad you care about the one, but what about those 99? Because they're vulnerable the moment you leave. However, in the kingdom of heaven, you know how God teaches his shepherds, or if you could say his men? Every year they would have feasts. And you know the feasts always seem to match with harvest times? And you know what God would say? I want you to leave your crop and I want you to come to Jerusalem. All the men, all the men must come up. Uh, God, you do know that the moment we leave our house, the enemy can come in then and take our crop. And if the enemy ever hears word that all the men are going to leave their fields, all of them, the same time every year at the barley harvest and then the wheat harvest, what do you think is going to happen? You know what God says? You trust me, I'll take care of your field. It's actually what he promised. All the men come up. You know that there's no record of a man losing his crop because he went to a feast. Isn't that a weird thought? Okay, so I'm just saying there's a need for us to be groomed and trained as shepherds. Okay, I'm not just talking to the men here because every single one of us is commissioned to be a shepherd. You could be a shepherdess if you want to say it that way. To preserve and to protect and to know how to wield that rod that we've been entrusted We've been given grace. We've been given strength. We've been given a measure of authority. How are we going to wield it? We need to wield it with total confidence in our God, with faith. <clears throat> and it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. What we have is we have a shepherd in this story protecting his sheep. That's what, it's, that's what it is. Most of us don't look at David and Goliath as that, but that's what this is. This is a man who is anointed king. He knows he's king, and he knows how to protect sheep. And when he sees a threat, he knows how to wield his rod. And he stands up and says, let me take him. This is it's one of the most audacious stories in all of history. He wasn't even invited to the battle. He shows up. The entire army is trembling with fear, and the shepherd, the one who knows how to wield the authority that he's been entrusted, says, I want to protect my sheep. His sheep are actually the nation of Israel. He was anointed king, so he knows his sheep, and he literally puts his life on the line 
to preserve them. Isn't that just an incredible thought? Bold shepherding. So in your life and your development as a shepherd, and if it helps for me to say, and a shepherdess, what you need to learn is boldness. There's a, last time we did a, a muscular uh, Christian episode, I talked about the awkward zone. You have to learn how to step into this awkward zone. You have to go where no man, no woman has gone before you. You cannot wait for a pattern to be given by someone else. You need to heed the Holy Spirit. If God says speak, you speak. If he says go, you, say, you go. If he says run, you run. You have to learn how to be a leader, how to handle the trust that you've been given the way God would have you handle it. You need to be meek. You need to allow that wildness of your soul to come under harness. You need to have a master horseman that begins to steer you and move you and says, right here, go. Stop. Canter. Run. You need to move at his pace in his direction. And as you do that, you're going to see an increase of strength. First the lion, then the bear, then. Many of us struggle because where we're at in life is not grand. It's smallish feeling. And yet, where you're at in life is precisely where God has you. In other words, where David was, David had a big future. He even knew that he had a big future, but guess what? He was still tending sheep. Wouldn't it be weird to be anointed king of Israel and then still be the shepherd in the family? Do you see something wrong with that? Mm -hmm. The shepherd was the lowest in all of society. So he's the king of Israel, which is the highest in all of society, and he is functioning in the lowest position in all of society. We never hear a complaint. What we're seeing is a readying of David. And the same thing is what we're seeing inside of you. You see, when you handle your sheep that you're entrusted with today well, which could be your thought life, could be your emotions, could be your body, could be the time you spend uh, during the day, it could be your leisure time. What are you doing with it? How are you handling it? Are you allowing wolves in? In other words, how you handle these small things is going to define how you're going to handle the next test. So how David is going to handle the lion is going to set a pattern in place for how he handles the bear. And how he handles the lion and the bear is going to set a pattern in place for how he's going to handle Goliath. And how he handles the lion, the bear, and Goliath is going to set a pattern in place for how he handles a nation and surrounding armies around him. And he says, I could be surrounded by 10,000 and I will not fear. What's that? I mean, first he starts out with, I'm surrounded by a lion, and I do not fear. Then it's a lion and a bear, and I do not fear. Then it's the champion of Gath, and I fear not. Then it's like 10,000 could surround me, and I fear not. What is that? It's an increase, is what you see. You see a man who takes the little that he has, he just has a little herd of sheep, and he has a lowly position, but he takes it, and he uses it with gusto. And when a lion comes, he walks in the authority of his God. And he goes after a lion with food in his mouth. Not a wise thing in an earthly sense. And breaks his jaw and takes back the sheep. Okay, now that's bold shepherding, guys. That's audacious. This is what I want to commission your soul to. Step into the zone that you would not normally go. Most of us would not normally go after a lion with food in his mouth. You need to start learning on the small things to begin to behave as Christ. 
If you're not behaving as Christ in the small things, you can't expect that one day when you're in a concentration camp and you're given that one opportunity to do some bold thing, that you're going to do it. You see, the way you train for those big moments, like a crucifixion in the future, where it's like, I, I do not want to denigrate the cross of Christ. I, I, I accept the fact that I can be crucified upside down. When it comes to those noble moments in the future, those noble moments are built on small moments now. You train now to do grand things publicly in the future. But right now, this is your season of anonymity. You have to be willing to do bold things that no one else can see, no one else may know about. You're not doing it for people. You're not doing it for applause. You're doing it for your king. And it increases grace within you. The secret of a shepherd, wielding strength for the sheep and never against them. So the, the illustration I could give is daddy wrestling with the kiddos. And, you know, Hudson's getting a little bigger than he should be now. So uh, I don't know that I've wrestled with Hudson in a long time. Maybe we should have a wrestling time, bud. That would be fun. Uh, but when I think back to the, the days, the kids, like pile on. Okay, they'll be like three or four on my back at once. You know, they're trying to take down daddy. Okay, but daddy has strength. That is, it's just dad's strength, if you could call it that. Okay, because I'm not trying to brag and say, oh, daddy is extra strong. I'm just saying daddy is stronger by a lot than little kids. Okay, like daddy could actually harm his kids. Daddy could not just wound, but kill his kids. That's how strong a daddy is. But a daddy loves his kids. So how does he use his strength? Well, it's kind of like this, wrestling with daddy. So I get into position. My kids are like all over me like ants, right? And so then I'll grab one and I'll flip them down, but I'll be protecting them. I won't let them hit the ground. I'll be holding them. And then I'll swallow them up, tickle them while they're down here. They'll scream and they'll slither off. Then I'll grab another one and swing it over. And the whole while, I am protecting them from my strength. And that's how the enjoyment works. And my kids have full confidence that I will not crush them. Otherwise, they would never engage. And that's precisely what we have to learn to do. We are given strength, but only to help and comfort our sheep, that which we're trusted with, but to clobber the wolves. You are given strength, but you must know how to properly wield it. Remembering my first steps into strength. So God began to increase in my life in a mighty way, and we're going back 12, 13 years, and I, you know, because I've been married 25, so Leslie was used, and I, I used to be more of what we could call the poet. If, if you have warrior and poet, I was more of the poet, okay? So very eloquent, I wrote poetry to Leslie, wrote love songs to Leslie, and Leslie would usually say, we need to increase on the protective side. Okay, now I'm, I, I have a tendency to be more of the warrior. It's really weird how, how my life is, has worked. And I need to remember to add more poet in. Because when you start to emphasize the strength and the protection and standing for truth in a generation and you know, all these different things that God has worked inside of me, when I first started doing it, I mean, I had no, no one gave me this message. Okay, there's a reason why I know this message very well is because I had this roar that grew in me. It was a roar for truth, a roar against sin. And so what, here, I'll give you an illustration. Leslie was struggling with anxiety. You know, we're talking 
12, 13 years. Somewhere, somewhere in there is when this was all happening. And I, I was all over it. It's like, we will not accept anxiety in this home. And Leslie just sort of like, uh, you know, shrinks back because this mighty roar. It's true. Yeah. But what I was doing is I was taking my rod and going whap right on top of her. Instead of living with her in an understanding way and say, okay, I'll stand with you against this anxiety. You see, I need to treat the anxiety as the enemy, not my wife as some culprit. In other words, something is coming in and trying to harm my wife. Well, guess what? She has a protector. And this protector has a roar, and he's going to use it properly to clobber that anxiety, not his lovely wife. And so if you were to ask Leslie if she was here, there'd be some great comments, I'm sure, that would come out. Because I honestly didn't see it at first. I thought I was protecting our home by hitting every bug that was around. Even if I start to take out some of my loved ones at the same time, I'm clobbering sin. And I had to recognize I was given a rod not to harm my sheep but to harm that was is trying to take my sheep. My battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. I need to know how to wield this. It's the same with all of us. Understanding the paradox of virtue. It's, it's really odd, guys. We'll just listen to this. It's a paradox. There's a courteous Christian, the poet. Do not resist evil. Be anxious for nothing. Be merciful and peace-loving. Be gentle, edifying, and life-giving. Love as Christ loved. Oh, what a delightful person that is. And did you know that if that's all you are, you have a rod, but you're not wielding it fully. The contending Christian, resist the devil. Remember the other one that said, do not resist evil. And then this one is, resist the devil. What? I'm supposed to not resist, and then I'm supposed to resist? Yeah. Don't you understand? You got sheep, and you got wolves. And you have to know how to interact with both. Our battle isn't against humans. It's against that which is suffocating them and, and manipulating their lives. And we want to see that broken down. We want to see that engagement with sin destroyed. Resist the devil. Be anxious for the things of the Lord. This other one said be anxious for nothing. But the Bible actually commands us to be anxious for something. It's for the glory of God. We literally care so deeply about God's glory that the world must know his truth. That's what we concern ourselves with. But we're not supposed to be anxious for ourselves. We're not supposed to burn this precious oil. It's called miram nao. It's this anxiety. It's this fuel that we have, and it's sacred. And we spend it on ourselves. Oh, that I would have what I need. God says, be anxious for nothing. Here, I want you to take that special oil, that special fuel, and I want, to, I want you to burn it for the glory of God. It's a complete turnaround, a complete shift. Be belligerent and pugnacious against the forces of hell. Tread down all enemy power and rip down their strongholds. Hate that which Christ hated. So it's not just love what Christ loves. It's hate that which Christ hates. Whoa! You have a rod. You've been given grace and strength. You have to know what to do with this ever-increasing strength. You need to be harnessed. You must be meek. You must come under the controls of the master horseman. And when he controls you, you are going to love people. But you are going to be hell's worst nightmare. See that? Simultaneous. If you're a wolf pack, you're going to fear a good shepherd. If you're a sheep, 
you're going to love a good shepherd. You see, that good shepherd knows how to wield that rod to comfort and to destruction. Same rod. Same grace that you have. You have been given something to utilize wisely. And it's a serious muscle strength that you have. Spiritual muscle. But you need to know how to handle it correctly. The model shepherd, he must know how to comfort and protect the sheep. He shows love always. Isn't that an amazing statement? Always towards sheep, both lost ones and found ones. He shows warlike pugnacity always towards the spiritual lions, bears, and wolves intent on destroying his sheepfold. He has a constant state of wariness, hatred towards the enemy camp. He has a constant state of love towards the sheep. Doesn't change. It's an always position, but it's the same rod. It's the same rod which is always ready to be wielded whichever way God would design it to be wielded. And this is where meekness comes in. This is the harness of our soul. There are going to be pockets of time where there will be an increase of grace. I don't know if you guys remember these. I called it the gap of grace a few sessions ago where God will create a higher level of responsibility. You've been down here and the grace has matched it. And then suddenly, he'll shoot you up again and he'll give you a greater measure of responsibility. You're like, oh God, wow, this is uncomfortable again. Mm -hmm. He's going to constantly do that in your life. When you reach this grace gap, what you're going to see is at first, you're going to lack the grace. And at first, you're going to have a little panic. And you're going to be like, God, uh, I'm short of something. He goes, I know. What are you going to do? Okay, I'm going to hold on to you. You're the one that has it for me. I'm not going to dig in my own pockets. I'm going to go to you. He goes, all right, you're getting it. Now what happens is it will start to come and you will have an increase of grace. It's like an increase of strength. And when you get an increase of strength, just like I did 12, 13 years ago, whatever that time was, I didn't know what to do with it. It came in so strong. When you go from tepid to piping hot and you suddenly have a boil going on inside of you and you've never had that before it can you know splash out and burn some people and so what you need to know ahead of time is that when that increase of strength comes you need to know how to wisely use it and I've had some spikes okay of strength I had another one this last year where it's like there was something increasing and I found myself more forceful in my communication than I had been before that I'm in a normal conversation. Suddenly, I would just get intense. And it happened like three straight days. And I actually, I was taking it before God going, God, what in the world's going on? Why am I so feisty over this? And I actually realized it was another increase of grace for what what season he was moving me into. So, I and at first, I, I probably clobbered a few people with it. If you want to say it that way, it wasn't as bad as that. But that's the way I would look at it. It's like, okay. Yeah, and that's why I, I probably spoke too strongly in that conversation. It's weird. But it's, un, it's foreign strength that God is increasing in you. You're, you're toddling again. You're learning a new coordination, and you're not going to be perfect in it. But what I want you to begin to do is exercise it, number one, and then recognize that there is a right way to use it and a wrong way to use it, and ask God to harness you, to build in that meekness, it's a great dependency, a greater dependency, the higher the level of responsibility. All right. <clears throat> Let's finish with prayer. Father, I pray that you would move us across that line into the awkward zone. 
that we would not justify, that we would not push off your entreaty, but Lord, that we would agree. But we need grace, Lord. We need the strength. We need the courage. We need the boldness. We need you to take us by the hand just as the Waldensian barbs with the young men and carry us across that threshold of obedience. Please, Lord, we just ask that you would grab us by the hand and carry us, that you would move us forward, that we would not stay where we're at, but that we would exercise the grace that we've been given. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.